So thanks again for joining us, and uh, and we'll start. Um, the good news is I'm not the organizer. Kyle Burns and Elizabeth in Santa Fe are organizing this, and uh, if, uh, if you have any complaints, sure. then... Just a quick little housekeeping, Rob. Please. Uh, everyone, as you're logging in, we've been muting your lines. Uh, if you have a question, it's probably easiest if you use the chat function on your screen. And if you can't find the chat function on your screen, you can always email Contessa Archuleta in our office your questions. And she's the one who sent out the key invite, so you should have her, her email available. Or you can always unmute yourself and uh, ask a question. If you take too long to ask your question, we will likely mute you again. <laughs> so I, I suggest if you unmute, be ready with your, your question on deck. Let me tell you, the people who are under, you know, 40 and who get Contessa the benefit of the doubt, uh, uh, keep me in line technologically. So you're just getting a little taste of what I go through every day, telling me what I can do and what I can't do, and I'm very happy about that. Um, uh, so, um, of course, the economy, the markets, the political situation and overarching everything, the medical situation uh, are sort of the, 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 thing, the things that are most on people's minds. And um, I tend, as time goes on, to talk less and less about the medical part of it, uh, not only because we have some, some people who are in the, in, the, in the medical field and in the statistical analysis field uh, relating to medical events on, on this conference call, but in general, uh, the longer time goes on, the less I, I feel like I know about it. Um, I'm not sure if, if the general knowledge, I think, uh, 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 in the scientific and medical community is getting better. Certainly things are, uh, from what I understand, in, in terms of the uh, hospital availability and um, uh, sort of knowledge about uh, some things that, uh, some facts as opposed to the initial kind of, oh, uh, the virus spreads, it lasts for five weeks, maybe it does. Um, it's the, the uh, I guess, the communicability, the leak, the, the, the uh, um, sort of the morbidity issues. Whatever, whatever people know about that, I'm going to sort of set all that aside for the time being because it's not something that I, I really know enough about. Um, I think the, the issues that are most important to, to us are what, what is the general, um, sort of effect of the, the way that the United States is dealing with these issues and how is that affecting our economy um, and the uh, responses that our country has taken, which are really quite different, very, very aggressive economic financial stimulus, monetary and financial stimulus, uh, much more so here than in most countries. You know, the different countries from Brazil, which is, you know, perhaps doing very little uh, um, to um, 
New Zealand, which you know apparently closed its borders and and you know, claims to have this conference. Well, this conference is no longer being recorded. So, Kyle, I was just informed the conference is not being recorded at the moment. This conference will now be recorded. There we go. I'm not sure if you can hear that as well. But I guess that everyone might do their electronic like approval that you may be recorded. So, if not. We're, we're giving you that caveat now. Um, so I think that the 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 U.S.'s response, however, uh, however you want to characterize it in terms of the amount of testing, the the um, the veracity of the testing, the amount of contact tracing or lack thereof. Uh, anecdotally, we I hear. Uh, hospital people here in Asheville saying they don't really want their people tested unless you're sick and, and exhibiting symptoms. And so, you know, there, uh, there are, I think our country, and this goes to where we're at financially in terms of the stimulus packages, the kind of, um, uh, the the funneling of money through unemployment benefits, whether you're actually unemployed or not, um, the the impact on small and medium sized businesses. These are things that we'll talk about in terms of Main Street. Really, what what has been the effect so far? What's likely to be the effect? How long will? And there's of course great debate between the states about shutting down or the, the kinds of openings or the kinds of measures that people are taking. I, I flew yesterday on an airplane. Um, it was packed to the gills. No no empty middle seats on that airplane at all. Um, and, you know, when, when I have two doctors telling me one thing that I need to wear, like, two masks, uh, like, one that my, my doctor friend gave me, uh, the ND95 and then a cotton mask with a coffee filter. And that's sort of like layperson's, uh, information. So I wore two masks and, and didn't suffocate and, and made it here to, to North Carolina. But all the, the point is that there were all kinds of people in the airport. People weren't wearing no masks. Um, some people wearing masks, of course, it's required on the airplane. Um, but that is the the hallmark of American the American response is that it's all over the map. And and disorganized, not in the sense that some towns are keeping people out. I think Santa Cruz, California, or their their beach towns, for example, in Mexico, uh 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 um Someone that's on this conference call told me you can't get to the beach in Mexico unless you're a resident. And it's like the different locations are taking their own measures. And so my, my, and, and, and the impact is that in America, in the United States, we have taken a financial kind of leap into never, never land of three trillion dollars of stimulus and and clearly people need help um no one really knows what that means when you when you pump three trillion dollars 
and the deficit goes beyond the boundary of what uh, Japan is, is really in the EU or the only countries that have gone this far in history with, with debt. And um, Japan, and it's, there, there's no conclusion that it's the wrong thing to do. It's just what's been done because it's something that Congress could do without um, without resistance. They could do it quickly. Uh, it funneled money and, and has kind of kept the public calm because the stock market has done remarkably well and the bond market as well through this time period. Um, uh, really almost having no loss, no, no appreciable loss. The, the bond market with interest rates having been forced down close to zero, the bond market has outperformed the stock market. And uh, uh, Kyle will talk a little bit more about that in, in a bit. So people with financial assets, just like the last five years or ten years, have done, you know, very well. Um, and uh, the real estate market in most places has held up remarkably well, uh, uh, incredibly well, certainly in places that I, I know about, uh, Santa Fe and Asheville. Um, the, uh, uh, there, there's, when places that are reasonably priced go on the market, they, they go, they sell very quickly. That has, hasn't happened in Santa Fe in a long time. Um, Astro has had a strong real estate market, and um, I can't speak. I think there is there is a divergence between smaller cities and the major metropolitan areas, uh, and so it remains to be seen what happens in places like Los Angeles, New York, um, uh, uh, the other the other metropolitan areas. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal today about an, a, a coming exodus from the major urban areas, which is sort of the reverse of the common wisdom of the last 10 years, where, where knowledge workers, young people, were coming into the city centers. People didn't want to drive. They wanted to live and walk, which is probably still the case. Um, but um, uh, uh, um, We'll see. We'll see whether that pans out or not uh, over the next couple of years. And and the question about timing and when things will, I, I don't want to say settle down, but when, you know, normally with a, um, a, 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 a disaster happens, there's a, an end to it. There's a sort of foreseeable end to it. And I don't really have a clue whether that's the case with this sort of pandemic. That, that's unclear to me. Uh, some people, it's like, it's like trying to figure out if schools will open up in the fall, right? Will people be comfortable enough, given the, the young person's population and the interaction between people and their families and the trade-off? That's kind of a, a good, everyone wants kids to go to school, right? There's no doubt about that. It's not like it's like optional, like going on vacation or going to a bar or a restaurant, even though people got used to restaurants being pretty much essential. Um, but going to school is a given. The effectiveness of, 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 of uh, remote learning, I think, 
I, and I don't know, there, there's nothing really to know, it's just what we read, there's that kind of element of, of, of uncertainty, whether what we read, no matter where we read it, is, is true or not, that basically teachers and have, 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 and have decided that remote learning, for by and large, hasn't worked. Like what happened between March and the end of school didn't work. I know in the California public school system, uh, because uh, my sister-in-law is a teacher, they were told not to teach anything new. It was just, and I, I don't know if that's the case everywhere, but um, so you have the loss of this school besides the social loss, and I, I'm not I'm not debating one way or another about what's right or wrong. Just saying the cost uh, to the children's lives of missing school will that Given the medical uncertainty, let's just say that's an unknown, that's the big debate, right, is, is whether to open up or not, how quickly, what to do, how to cope, and then what are the economic effects of all that. When you have kids at home, um, there are not a lot of people on the call that have young children at home, but, but some. Um, there's an economic cost that, that to, to, to their productivity or their work, not, not, not all, always. We, our staff has kids, has kids, and and the people are working from home, and I know they're working, and and they're all nodding their head up and down that they're working just as hard, harder than ever, and more productive than ever. And uh, of course, I applaud them, but it's hard to know. I mean, we're very much in a knowledge service industry, and not a, a tangible, hands-on uh, industry. And I, I don't really know how well other other industries. Uh, make progress. So, uh, what's expected is that, and this is, this is supposed to be reassuring, that, that even though our, our nation's output is expected to decline 6% this year in 2020, it's, you know, a recession, depression, it, it's so different. It's such a, a, uh, the, the consumer demand was high, growth was high before, before the pandemic was recognize it's likely and and people are predicting that consumer demand will rebound very quickly when it's when the game is called over or it's it's under control or whatever whether that will be whether there'll be an announcement from someone that's credible that this is actually the case uh putting a vaccine aside that that we really have to acknowledge that, and, and I have a personal opinion about it, which isn't that informed or important. That that given the the variety of responses in our country, that um, that it will continue to spread, and I and I know that that eventually we will we will we will develop you know, immunity, herd immunity, but that it will take a lot of time and that a lot of people there will still get sick. But that given the lack the, the lack of tracking and testing, that it's very unlikely that that we'll shut down to the extent that that will be the solution until a medical solution. And then if a medical solution does arrive, how many people will take the vaccine? Mm, I don't want to prejudice you about my family, but very few people in my family are that interested in taking a vaccine that comes from the government. They're a little, they're, they're reluctant. 
let's just say that. And uh, so even if a vaccine is developed, will there still be these enough outliers, given that some people are outlying today with no masks, no social distancing, whatever, going to bars or, or whatever, and, and that 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 this is a this is a much longer term economic effect than than people thought about uh, that it was going to be, and so the adjustments and the and the stock market performance is is I think predicated on two things. One is the incredible amounts of of cash that have been injected, the three trillion dollars that's been given to the market that has no place to go other than to sit in cash. Or buy gold or real estate. When you go to buy a bond, you earn half a percent or one percent, and it, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's really a continuation of what's been going on for the last ten years, essentially since the financial crisis with the mortgage bonds. It's it's essentially a liquidity funded asset, a rise in asset prices. Because savers, bond, you know, uh, uh, conservative savers, people on fix, uh, are 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 screwed. You, you can't earn a rate of return on your money on something that is fixed and and relatively, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say safe or conservative, but that the, the traditional ways in a, an annuity or in a bond or in a savings account, a CD. Those are not tenable, um, and, and I won't I won't diverge to talk about inflation yet. But the stock market, the the technology market, of course, is uh, is at an all time high. It's uh, um, it's above where it was because whatever that we're we're using go to meetings for this meeting. People are watching Netflix. You know, I read that the the the, the the, the, the NASDAQ, the technology market, its rise is due 100% to six companies, right? Google, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, um, Microsoft, um, uh, anyway, I've got the list here somewhere, but six companies uh, make up the entire rise in the NASDAQ. And um, if those weren't there, it would be like the Dow um, uh, and the S&P. It would be it would be down. So we have the situation, and 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 the divergence from the real economy is incredible because uh, there are 40 million people out of work, and. And uh, I think where we'll come to later is that a, I, I, it's hard to say a lot. A lot is kind of a meaningless phrase <laughs> from a statistical or a or a, an analytical perspective. Uh, there will be, uh, and everyone can look for themselves when you go around, if you go and venture out and say, how many businesses remain shut now? And if they're if they're shut in another month, will not be coming back. Uh, it's it's sort of easy to see uh, restaurants, uh, hotels, um, retail, 
um, some big retailers, some small retailers. It's it's very difficult to know. I, I don't know, you know, people, uh, my cousin described the, the um, you know, that her house was like a, uh, a shipping and receiving department, right? Uh, and that she has three adult children, two of which are, are at home. And, you know, every day it was like, it was like sorting the packages that come in from the various, you know, people that drop them off from the big trucks as opposed to going out. And I, I don't really know how that pans out for, um, for, for all businesses, but I think that is a, a, a cause for major concern that there, that the, the, and again, the government statistics don't really capture that, um, long-term impact, the, the numbers that they have been reporting, the unemployment numbers, I think, are very much under-reported. They reported like 13% unemployment. It's probably more like 20 because everyone that was put on one, this government program, this payroll protection program, which which was the main way that this, uh, money was funneled to the, the small and medium, the small businesses, that they were considered to be employed even though they weren't working because they were, they were, the, the businesses were required to pay them. And, and I know from some businesses that, that, that they're not going to rehire all the people. There's no question that people have experienced, uh, ways of doing business that require less people. And, and so it's going to be, uh, a much higher level of, of permanent unemployment, which which sort of brings back the political question of sort of what 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 to do, how much money to funnel through our system, through the Federal Reserve and through the banking system. So we're obviously in uncharted territory. Um, when you when you look at uh, the banks, the banking system and the banks are precluded and we'll, and this is very important. The banks are precluded from foreclosing on people that are delinquent. What does that mean? Does it mean that, I mean, that's a good thing. It, it means people aren't foreclosed on and kicked out of their homes, right? We're all in favor of that. We don't want people to be out on the street and who knows, um, Will they, be, will people be required to catch up on their mortgages? Over what period of time? When the banks go to report to the government about their portfolios, their loan portfolios, they will have a complicated mess to be sure, but they will then be given leniency, of course, because they were told to do that. And so we will have no way of judging how solid a bank is going forward because of this huge impact of a, a government program on a private industry, which um, means that our, it, it means that the banks become tied up and the government then has to change whatever its, its criteria are for judging banks and what they do. And so we have this huge industry that is essentially now just a implement of government policy and not really a private uh, private business, which you know is is something that in some people's minds is a good thing that 
if they if you feel like banks are predatory. Um, I know that it, the, the banks are not lending money. They're not collecting money. They're not lending. Um, some of our private lenders are having a heyday because they're getting much better customers from banks because the banks aren't lending. So um, what we expect going forward and uh, um, uh, is that interest rates, which are close to zero, will stay down at levels like this for an extended period of time, two years, let's say, because there really is no option. There, there's no way that with a $26 trillion debt, uh, which is probably about 150% of GDP, we're, we're above the level that any, that only Japan has gone past this level of debt. Um, and, and what it did was curtail real growth in Japan. Doesn't mean Japan is not you know, a stable, you know, that people aren't enjoying life in Japan. It just means that the government becomes the major player in the bond and eventually the stock market. In the U.S., one of the ways that this pandemic has impacted, because everyone is so concerned about maintaining stability and consumer confidence, the government has come in to back up to essentially, I don't want to say guarantee, let's just say backstop. To backstop private companies, really no matter what their quality, it has to do with their size. It's a lot like what they do in China. And it's a lot like what happens in a centrally planned economy, which is really where all of this is going. It's not all going that way, but it looks like it all... The, the government's involvement is the government has promised to buy bonds of companies over a certain size, no matter whether they're good bonds or bad, bad bonds. And, and so when people who know something about the bond market, and it's, it's not that esoteric, the bond market is like uh, everyone knows, it's, it's companies that borrow money instead of selling stock, right? It's, it's a much bigger market than the stock market. Even though it doesn't attract the press or the public following, um, there, there's much more of our country is tied up in debt than in equity. And and um, by the government stepping into the bond market, which which it has, it's the it's I'm not saying it's the first step towards anything. I'm not I'm not making a, a judgment about it. It's just it means that that. Uh, what they call zombie companies, low-quality companies, get to stay alive so that they continue to employ people, right? If you read the international news, that's exactly the description of our criticism of the Chinese system, that they keep zombie companies alive so that people stay employed so that there's not social unrest. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's, it's happening and, and it means, I don't really know, you know, it's hard, it, there's no like logical direct conclusion. There's no direct practical application other than 
uh, the bond, I mean, the bond market has been tremendously profitable for our clients who own bonds. The only problem is you have to sell your bonds to realize the gains, and that's not really what we do because we, we're, we have bonds for income. If you're a bond trader, you've made a lot of money. Um, so I, I think, Rob, if I may just jump in, I think please. the first thing we're seeing is that the government purchasing of bonds has been really bad for our clients and investors in general. Uh, any saver, because the savers, the government stepping in and buying bonds has driven up the price in bonds, which in turn drives down the amount we get paid on our bonds. And so when we go out to buy bonds, we're now competing to buy bonds with the government, and we're earning earning close to nothing on those bonds now. You know, maybe I'll stop here and see, since I've ranted on for a little while, whether anyone has, has questions um, uh, before I go on, because I think we've covered some ground um, summarizing. And yeah, I was going to say, we, we did get some questions in on the chat, Great. Uh, largely related to kind of what it means for stocks and, and investments, and I think you know, there's there's a question of sort of how the election could affect stocks and how the question on uh, work from home, which I assume is related to stocks as well, uh, less about the social impacts of work from home, but probably more about the stock market. If that's true, give me a head nod, Mark. This is your question. Uh, so I, I don't know if you want to talk about the election results and what they can mean for stocks. Sure. That's an easy one to answer and very brief. Um, I think that if if Biden wins, that tax rates will go up. All different kinds of taxes will go up. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's part of the platform, corporate taxes. And um, that will be a, a negative for stocks. Uh, and and I'm not saying I don't want Biden's win. I'm just looking at it from a purely sort of cause and effect relationship. I mean, corporations have had like a huge boost from from Trump and the previous and you know most of the previous presidents for the last 20 years. It's been, and that's what's created the, one of the things that's created the divergence in wealth, you know, that's created such a a wealth gap between the, you know, the top whatever, whatever percent it is, um, is that corporations have, have really had a big advantage. And that has flowed through, the benefit of that has flowed through the people that own stocks. And, and so... Um, I think that's one impact on the stock market of the of the election. Um, the other question about working from home, Kyle, do you want to address that? Yeah, yeah, I think because the question there's a work from home question. There's also like an electric vehicle and clean energy question. And you know, I, I would say that the when we look at stocks, it's it's always moving. There's 
there's always something happen, like general general trends are happening in the stock market, and and work from home is kind of the the current trend that we're seeing. And you know, it's there's a lot of traders involved with work from home stocks. So there's big companies putting big dollars in and driving prices up, along with kind of the average consumer, whether or not the company is a good company or not, we've seen a lot of trades into any company that is involved with work from home. Zoom is probably the best example of this. We've seen Zoom skyrocket. Now, is Zoom a $60 billion company or is Zoom not a $60 billion company? And uh, we tend to think it's not really based on its earnings, but uh, it's a lot of people speculating on these things. And so, when we look at the shifts in the stock market, whether it's clean energy or work from home, we're always looking at companies that are managed well in the long term. So companies that were performing well that, that perhaps stand to benefit from these changes. Uh, we're, we're not buying Nikola, the hydrogen truck company uh, that, has, that has no earnings that's worth more than GM with $100 billion in earnings or revenues, right? It's just we we can't make that bet for clients, but we're always watching kind of these transitions in the stock market to look for opportunity, but really at the same time trying to protect investors and, and buying good companies that are well-managed. Good. Can I ask Kyle a question? Yes, please. Great. Well, Kyle, having said what you have said concerning the taxes go up, the stocks' values go down, uh, companies, and, and that that's because the stock values have gone up, the rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poor. What's your, what's your thought about opportunities that have been created with the stock market going up versus what will be created with the stock market going down. Yeah, I think, you know, as as we start to see what implications could occur, right, like if there were taxes or further regulations, say, on social media companies, it's kind of the, the hot topic right now. Uh, we're always – you want to be watching that and being able to – to move out of sectors that are less favorable. And we and we, we saw this in mid-March when the stock market was down uh, 36% for the year. The S&P was down in mid-March. And when we saw that, we said, okay, what companies do we want to move into? What companies are more likely to rebound quickly? Uh, which companies may languish? Right? We've, we've seen financials really kind of struggle through the rebound. Uh, people are really worried about both their workload, uh, higher operating expenses combined with really low interest rates. So there's there's often places where we're able to kind of find find opportunities to rotate into new sectors and invest, but or it's or it's diversification, or there's other places to to put capital. Yeah, you know, on the sector question, Gail Johnson in our office does quite a bit of studies of that, and uh, Gail, I, I don't know if you want to speak about the sectors of, of the market that you've been looking at. Um, 
I know you're there, I don't know if you're speaking because your picture is off and you're on mute, but uh, well that can be that can be fake. <laughs> um the concerns with sectors right now are that tech and health seem to be overbought and they're doing very well in our client portfolio. So the question is, do we take the profits off the table? And if they dropped it back in, is that market timing, which is always very difficult. And even if we do that, where do we park the money so it earns something? So we're working on how to proceed with that. Great. You, you get put in a really uh, difficult situation. I think you've lost your volume. Uh, uh, a challenge, go to meeting. Yes. Now uh, we can't hear you. Patient in that because with so, a ten-year injury, a ten-year look at it. Well. Um, I guess that's why those six companies are making so much money. Uh, can most people hear me since I'm at a different location? Um, Kyle really is our, our, our technology guru, so he'll fix that problem, I'm sure, because he definitely has, has something he wants to say. So, um, uh, any other questions before we go back to talking about the general economy? Um, uh, and Steve, if, I don't if know you can hear me now, Rob, mm -hmm. Steve, Steve actually did have a question about the economy, just about what is New Mexico's financial situation look like with, and it's probably a lot of places with tourism and also energy down. Absolutely, great question. Um, well, tourism is is the uh, I guess the one of the top three industries in New Mexico. It certainly is in in North Carolina and Western North Carolina. Um, in in uh, in Santa Fe, state government, and then the state of New Mexico uh, oil and gas revenues, which which have plummeted really with um, a very a sea change where the U.S. was was exporting energy. There were budget surpluses. Um, there was the price war between the Saudis and the and the Russians earlier this spring. And I think both of those players really wanted to knock out the uh, smaller U.S. oil and gas players. And I think they've been somewhat effective in doing that. Uh, you saw Chesapeake uh, Energy declare bankruptcy recently, uh, anyone that borrowed money to do exploration, uh, is, uh, those bank loans are in terrible shape. And um, uh, uh, I, I think it's, it's a lot like real estate where if you, if you lever your money and you're right, that is if you go out and borrow money to, do, uh, uh, to grow faster, uh, um, 
then you're just you're just rolling the dice, and if you win, you win bigger, and if you lose, you lose bigger. That's just like uh, taking leverage out to buy real estate. Um, and and we'll talk a lot about that in our next section when we cover the private investment area about uh, which private investments have leverage and which don't and how that's impacted them. So uh, New Mexico, which relies on oil and gas revenue, is in, I would say, a world of hurt. Um, it, it, it has reserves, of course, operating reserves in their in their budget. It's, it's very interesting that during this time period, a state like Illinois, for the first time, Illinois has been in terrible shape for 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 several reasons, um, uh, has been able that Congress in this in this sort of crisis situation has authorized Illinois to borrow money from the federal government, which they have, uh, because if they go out, uh, it's likely that no one, uh, not enough people would buy their bonds, and besides being embarrassing, it would throw the market for Illinois bonds into turmoil. I know I strayed from New Mexico to Illinois, and we don't have a lot of Illinois residents on the phone, so maybe we should just say, the heck with Illinois. Uh, but um, it's, it's, very, it's just further down the road in terms of how does a state that has large liabilities, both both uh, bonds and 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 uh, retirement liabilities to their retirees. How do they deal with plummeting state revenues? All the states have seen lower revenues, just like the banks have seen lower revenues. And the solution has been for the government to be the backstop lender, which it never was before. Now, as in everything, some people say, well, as long as you're lending to us to get over this 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 pandemic crisis. You might as well lend us some more so we can like like shore up our our regular budget and pay out our retirees. So there is kind of a, a political feeding frenzy going on because no one really uh it's not like no one cares about the size of the deficit. It's just it's so big and the crisis seems so large that that there's you don't you don't see a tea party around anymore. Uh, you don't even see uh, uh, a lot of people uh, objecting officially because no one wants to be seen as cruel and heartless and just not acceptable to to hold back funds for people that are in need. And and that's 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 all well and good. It just means that um, that the bond market. I know it's so boring. I'm I'm so boring. I just want to talk about the bond market. It's terrible. It's the 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 the, the risky bonds which have been on a tear. They they've had a huge run up. That is junk bonds, and there are more and more companies that 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 are junk that are not making money. You could you could say Delta Airlines is a junk bond. It's not really. It's not rated that way. Or Southwest. And I bought Delta stock at the beginning of this, like in late March, and I made a little money, and and I just can't bring myself to sell it quite yet. Uh, um, uh, but there are many bonds as well. And we bought Southwest bonds. Right. 
and and they're they're great they're great earning they're just high risk that's that's just that's just all there is to say about it that that we live in a very high risk environment because no one really knows when people are going to start tra- if they will ever travel again i i think they will um personally and that kind of that, that's probably a good topic to talk about because i am I am I am very optimistic about the US's long term ability to adapt to whatever the reality is of of one virus or many viruses. There there are people of course who think this will mutate or there'll be other ones coming down the road. And however disorganized and unsatisfactory and and sort of selfishly motivated uh, um, any particular individual's response uh, to this, like wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, uh, social distancing or not, going to the restaurants or not, that the flexibility that the people in, uh, of this country show and the resiliency is that people are saying, well, where are our opportunities? It's not like saying, well, this is the end of the world or let's Let's figure out how to force everyone to follow one set of rules. Though that may be the right thing to do medically, we don't we don't really know. But but a lot of people who who, who do know say yes, we should have these set of rules that apply nationwide. That, I think I can't remember, Kyle. Were you saying that that the, really the problem is that it's state by state, and unless you close off Texas from New Mexico, if Texas is allowed to do whatever the heck they want, but in New Mexico, you know, um, unless they really penalize people, people are going to come to Santa Fe this summer for, you know, red chili and green chili, as they always have, and they can drive here or there. And so who cares what New Mexico's policies are unless you close the borders between states, you can't really control uh, uh, ultimately, like like maybe they they can in other places. Um, uh, so, but I think in the long run that the economy changes some that 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 the that the number of businesses in business shrink that there are less restaurants, there are less airlines, um, there are less hotels. Uh, um, and 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 then and then less middle managers. That's the other group that's been singled out. Of course, they've been under attack. I'm not sure there are any middle managers left in the country, but um, people are figuring out how to operate with fewer people, with less travel. That was the other impact. Um, and uh, uh, that is that. You know what? Maybe people coming into the office two days a week works permanently. It's less, I mean, in a city, you have less travel time. In New York, um, most people are not going to want to get back on the subway if that's kind of a major danger spot, right? And you can't really blame them for that. Uh, and we have people from New York City who are on the line and, and, uh, are, and, uh, you know, it, it just means that people will do more things locally 
and, and that has some positive impacts as well. Um, uh, hopefully it has a positive impact on Brooklyn real estate that people want to work close to where they live and not necessarily going to Manhattan, which faces probably a large danger of emigration and devaluation. But that's not a surprise when you look at the price of Manhattan real estate and how just absolutely crazy it's been over the last 10 or 15 years. You say, well, no one could tell it was going to happen, but, but that's what market cycles are. But I think people adjust. They're winners and losers. Um, but I think the U.S., you know, I think we, we do come to terms both medically and, and financially with it. And, uh, um, that's why, uh, our general investment advice is to stay the course, right? Um, uh, uh, we talk a lot about people's cash needs having, you know, as, instead of having six months of cash needs have, you know, one to two years. That's what we were talking about at our staff meeting the other day is to increase your cash holdings. Um, and, uh, and be opportunistic, um, uh, about where, uh, about where you invest your money. It's, it's make, making short-term bets is, is, is not our practice, but especially in an environment like this where, where the stability is so dependent on, on the deficit, on deficit funding. So, um, Kyle, anything to add to that? No, I, I don't think so. I think we've we've seen after the kind of downturn in the market, we saw a lot of short-term investors who moved into the market and kind of caught that wave up. And so I think there are there's a lot of people out there right now that think that short-term trading is is the way to go. It's but I mean the volume in the stock market has been immense, meaning the number of shares traded has been really incredible over the last three months. And part of it's people at home, operations right. re-entering, nothing to do with your cash. Boredom. Boredom. So what we recommend that people do if they are tempted to trade is, you know, set up a little account and take a couple of thousand dollars and trade away. Like go for the gusto. And get your yayas. It's like going to the slot machines and, you know, getting, uh, quarters or, or, you know, instead of silver dollars or, or dimes or whatever. Any anti-poker. It's great. You know, I, I mean, the people in the country are very entrepreneurial. Um, and, and let's, let's turn to real estate and private investments, if that's okay. Um, we're about halfway through, but uh, are any other questions? Have any other questions come through on the on the chat line? Oh, we would stop and have a word from our advertisers, but we don't have any. Thank you very much. So we'll just continue on. Um, no new questions, but I, I encourage questions. And if you'd like to unmute yourself and ask a question, that would be a, a great opportunity. All right, no takers on that. Um, thanks. Um, so I mentioned before that that real estate. Oh, right, please. 
Anything, Kyle? Are you? No, you can continue. Okay, thank you, sir. You know, you've got to take your orders. As Bob Dylan says, everyone has to serve somebody. So, um, uh, the real estate market um, for residential property in smaller cities is strong. The residential market in big cities, this is just a recap of what I said before, in urban areas on the high end is very weak. The um, no one knows really what the future looks like for commercial property because uh, uh, even before the pandemic there was you know great pressure on 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 retailers because of Amazon and the sort of stay at home shopping which obviously has increased exponentially and so local retailers are in a very bad way. Now, we had a client who's on the, on, on this call come in and say that um, they were dying to get back to their hairdresser. Now, I didn't even notice that that uh, there was any difference, uh, and that's how observant I am, and I'm not identifying whether you know who it was or anything like that. Of course and not having a, a lot of time myself spent at hairdressers, it was a little hard to relate to. However, it point, pointed out to me that really there are essential services that people have that need to be delivered at a retail outlet, right? Um, and, um, and Anthony went and got a haircut, uh, which, which was good at the office. He was using way too much goop. To, to put up his his quatera, which you know, and and so I, you know there's hair and nails and and probably quite a few other um, essential services that rely on physical contact and uh, I'm you know there may be something old fashioned about you know about face to face medicine I know there's a lot of telemedicine going on my daughter is finishing up her clinical work. Um, and uh, with various, you know, degrees, uh, uh, but there will be uh, always a need for some retail outlets, and um, uh, but but less so uh, in terms of of goods, more services than goods. So that's what we see in the commercial market. Are um, uh, what is the benefit of face-to-face -face work, for example, in in our work? In the investment field, or in the legal field, or the accounting field, um, my accountant comes in. You know, I, I call my accountant up. He doesn't want to talk on the phone. He wants to come into the office, which is very, you know, it's great because the communication that happens, the depth and variety is is, is different in person, um, uh, but. Maybe there's some things that don't need to happen like that. So the the market going forward, that is the location of 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 the of the service delivery and the sort of general tone of how to get around. How easy it, is it to get around the the uh, um, the kind of physical environment? We're we're now designing several commercial buildings and 
the quality of fresh air, for example, or the ability of people to control their environment versus being in a skyscraper, that that there's one environment and everyone's, I guess that's, you know, the, the debate about airplanes. Are they, like, dangerous because of the air circulating? And, you know, the airlines are spending a lot of time on those issues. Um, so I, I think the real estate market for large restaurants, large hotels, even smaller ones, is very much in question. And we have investments in uh, a couple of restaurants uh, um, that, that are anchor tenants and one or two, one real, one retail or, uh, and, and two hotels. So we're definitely experiencing in our private investment portfolio out of, let's say, 50 investments, we have five that are seriously challenged by this situation that has changed people's social behavior, right? How long it will change their behavior, uh, we always come back to the value of the real estate and what it was purchased at to protect our capital. That's always been our our uh, primary, as we always sacrifice sort of huge upside as much as we can control it to trying to buy things at a good value at the time. They say in real estate that you make your money when you buy, as a, not that you don't, you don't, you realize it when you sell, but you, your, your potential for gain is pretty much set when you buy it and under the circumstances that you, that you, that you buy it. And, um, so, um, with, just stepping back, the big picture is that the bond market has had a huge run up because interest rates have gone to zero. There's very little room for them to go. There's no room for them to go down until they go into negative territory, which is its own morass. I heard one, one person call it kryptonite to the Fed acting as Superman, right? The Federal Reserve has come in and saved the economy and kept consumer confidence. If they push it too far, they will they will encounter their own kryptonite and kind of melt down. Who knows if that's true? Certainly, Japan, who is the only who's a country where there's like five or ten years of experience with negative interest rates, has had to cut, step in to the market in greater and greater amounts. The Japanese government. I, I don't know if I'm repeating myself. I, when I was writing articles for the New Mexican, I used to feel like, am I saying the same thing now as I, as I always said? I, I just don't know. The Japanese government is now the largest buyer of the Japanese stock market. They're the largest owner of, if it would be like if the Federal Reserve bought the Standard Poor's 500 or the NASDAQ whatever, and became the dominant shareholder, a controlling shareholder. That's, that's the case in Japan today. So that, that because, um, they just, they just don't want consumers to be greatly at risk. So they're not, they're not traders, they're buy and hold, which gives stability 
social stability, financial stability, at the cost of growth. And that, I think, is the central theme. And when we come back to talk about real estate, is where is their growth? Where is their growth demographically in, in people moving to? And where is their growth in the sense of the kind of services that are physically necessary? And um, uh, uh, do, do people need a place to work? They, they, some people need a place to work. You think about the work that you did or are doing now, and could you do it all from home? I think the answer is probably mm, what, whatever. Like three quarters could need a place to work, but they don't need to go there every day. That would be my sort of statistical estimation of it. So it means that there, that there is going to be excess real estate, especially in shopping centers which were going to be repurposed as whatever, residential or health clubs, which is a big thing, or medical services, which is, which is a big topic. Um, and, and so the real estate market uh, uh, for those kinds of properties will change, I think, uh, dramatically. Um, we are a big believer in low, in, in, moderately priced uh, commercial property where people come in and there's easy access uh, both transportation-wise and parking-wise. And, um, and and that's been our approach to the kinds of, of housing that we're interested in and that we're invested in uh, for the most part, which is moderately priced um, uh, uh, price point. So people who are on the luxury end of things, people that uh, even in Santa Fe, for example, people that live in multi-million dollar homes um, are are going to have difficulty selling their homes when the time is appropriate. It's There, there are not many people who are under the age of 45, let's say, People who still have young children at home, uh, or are you know um, interested in not spending their time mowing the lawn or fixing up you know a large house. I think there's a I think there's a there's a big demographic change coming in that in that market, um, uh, and it's not so much coming, just accelerated because we've talked about it often in these talks before. Whereas if you if you have if you're building or you have a, a home between say two hundred and five hundred thousand, there are a ton of people looking for those homes uh, uh, wherever because that's probably the price point. And so we're trying to establish where that is in the rental market, uh, like between a thousand and two thousand a month. Is, is, is the target market that we found is where you can get a, you know, someone that is going to pay their deposit and pay their rent and not just come in. As people are doing now, taking advantage of the current situation and just like putting down first month's rent and not intending on paying any more rent because the government says that you can't evict people today, right? It's, 
if you can't evict people, that again, from a social perspective, uh, uh, is a, a, a positive thing. Uh, uh, but from the owner's perspective, it, it's crazy. It's taking away property rights. And so why would an owner maintain a building? And, and that, we probably talked about it, that in New York has been the case, let's say, for the last year. Um, uh, that there are, are rent controls. And, you know, I, I admit to being a free market kind of a person, uh, whether that's politically correct or not, that really the best quality products and remote and, and more of them come when owners are unconstrained to do what, what they feel is in their best interest, that they will maintain properties and rent them and figure out where, where the market is. And that, is not the situation that we're in today by any means, given the the restrictions on banks, the restrictions on landlords. Uh, um, and again, it, it definitely flows over to the political sphere because these, these are political decisions that are being made. And um, I don't really know, you know, the time lag between policy decisions and then and then ascertaining their results is, is pretty darn long. And the sort of general tenure of politicians is generally pretty darn short. Uh um and and so I'm not I'm not disking anyone in particular, I'm just saying that the net impact of, of this is just that the bonds that are now being supported or starting to be supported by the government are at risk. And the next area that happens after bonds is stocks. Because it's a logical progression, as we've seen in Japan, for the government to move from, from supporting the bond market to supporting the stock market. I'm not saying the government shouldn't you know, have some of their trust funds or social security funds in the stock market, that's a different discussion. It's, it's, uh, when, when we'll just, we'll just see what happens with consumer confidence. And I think that all ties back into, I, I don't even want to call it a return to normalcy, uh, because that's, that word doesn't really have a lot of meaning anymore. Um, it's more like, when will we acknowledge that the country is essentially on, it, it cannot be directed on a social level for everyone to do the same thing? I think, I think, I think it's impossible to do that. And what is that? I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. In, in South Korea, they're able to tell people what to do and it worked. It's effective, but not here. I don't think I don't think it will happen, and that's sort of what I get paid to do is say, well, what can happen, what can't happen, and what what what's that what's that impact on the price of stocks and bonds and and real estate? That's what well, Mister you. Hi. Hey, Don, you have a question? Um, how to mute my microphone? There we. There we go. Oh. Well done. Now mute. We did have a question come in, though, Robin. Good. Uh, so the, the, the question just says that it's a scary time for investors, and there's a lot of uncertainty. I think I mean, the question asks if there's other ways 
other than diversification, ways to protect yourself. But really, I mean, what are maybe, I'm guessing, and you can give me a thumbs up, Dan, if I'm getting the right question, but I think the questions are, the question is, how do we protect ourselves other than just the normal diversification that we've been doing? Are there, are there other things we should be doing to kind of protect our investments or our capital? Well, certainly there are things to do in the short run, or, or it depends on, you know, in the short run, however, however, and this is something that corporations are doing in, in huge measures, in the short run, holding cash is not a bad thing. That's the protection. Um, uh, and, Rob and I are also big proponents of having some physical cash at home, uh, not large yes. amounts, but but it's it's always a good idea for for you to have some cash on hand at home. What's the right amount? Well, I, I guess it's it's different for everyone because we all live different lifestyles, but. Uh, we typically would say in the the, the five to ten thousand dollar range is a is a fair amount of cash to to have on I, hand. That's right, that's right. Five to ten thousand dollars. I don't know many people, many families who are, you know, over fifty that live on less than five thousand dollars a month. And so we're really talking about two two months cash, two months spending needs. It's not. It's not that there's something wrong with checking accounts or that anything's going to happen. It's just it's 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 good to have cash. I think that's a general rule, um, uh, especially if you want a discount. Just joking. Um, so um, the other the, the, that's the short term answer. The the long term answer and diversification is not to me a stock and bond and cash allocation. It's how how much debt do you have? Uh, what are other potential sources of income? To me, uh, life is about cash flow. It's a, a appreciation in property, even though everyone is used to the stock market going up uh, or real estate going up, that's 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 um it's it's super important but it's out of our control and people that confuse like luck with brains are not in a good way they, because people make decisions thinking that they know what's going to happen or that there's something that's a sure thing and and that's not true uh, just because it's happened for x number of years in the past is absolutely no prediction of how it's going to Act in the future. None. Uh, you other than other than if the government uh, supports things, which it's done. So so it's kind of like natural discipline has been out the window for the last really almost since, since yeah certainly for ten years maybe fifteen years. Um, I, I won't go into the history lesson about that now. So what kind of what other kinds of uh, uh, of, of income producing assets if you need cash what, and what kind of income producing assets adjust to the circumstances of the world um, 
you know, oil wells, oil and gas wells used to do that. They would fluctuate with the price of, of energy. But then, you know, no one expected that the Saudis and the Russians and, and the, and the, and the drillers in, in New Mexico and Texas would produce, and North Dakota would produce so much. I mean, natural gas is practically given away now. It's, it's just dirt cheap. And that's, it. you know, 10 years ago, natural gas was considered green energy uh, before sort of the fracking industry uh, came in. And maybe that's why there's a glut of it because of the success of that, um, that method. Uh, um, uh, uh, we tend to revert, at least I do, to income-producing real estate. And that's, there, there are people who can own and manage their own rental properties, and it's a lot of work and a hassle, and you get paid. That's a kind of diversification. The ideal situation is where you live next door to your rental, right? Because otherwise you have to worry about what they're doing and you can't see it. And Physical eyes on the property are like key to success. So you either have to have partners or people that you know are like watching it and there, or don't do it. And, and of course, there's a whole industry built up around that, and uh, and they're they're good and bad bad bets to be made on that, depending on location and price point of the property and the commercial. Is it, is it residential? Uh, all of those things. It's 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 a little bit like buying a stock. You have to do an analysis of the market and and find value. So um, uh, the lending is something that has worked extremely well for our clients. The commercial real estate lending. Um, you always hate to say that because then something bad might happen. <laughs> After you kind of tout it, uh, especially on a, on a group call, but uh, basically all the commercial real estate lenders that we deal with, and there are quite a few, have done extremely well. Uh, uh, it's not like they haven't taken some hits by people uh, delaying their loan payments, but the, the kind of commercial real estate lending that we support is all highly, highly secured by property, and the properties have not fallen out of bed, the values. And so there's a lot of comfort with those private lenders, both the ones in North Carolina and, and the one in California that we deal with. Um, uh, again, the, the main dangers to, to property are uh, uh, hotels, restaurants, hotels and restaurants, hospitality industries, driven. So it doesn't produce income, but what do you think about holding physical gold, Rob? I think holding physical gold is like holding physical cash uh, a, a, a good thing. Um, it is not income producing, um, um, and and uh, it's not a doomsday kind of a holding, besides the fact that it's gone up. Um, uh, and I would say 
I, w I wouldn't be buying gold today for its price appreciation, but for its uh, its value, um, it's a little bit like Bitcoin, really. Uh, even though Bitcoins can be probably stolen uh, or, you know, the market price can be manipulated. It's a lot, a lot more volatile, but it's an alternative currency, essentially. And a lot of people ask me, well, how can I bet, how can I diversify outside of the U.S. dollar? Or how can I short the U.S. dollar? If things are so out of control spending-wise, isn't it logical that the U.S. dollar would go down? And I'm thinking, well, what's going to what's going to go up against it? Is the euro or the yen in any better shape? They're not. They're not. I think the dollar remains the currency of the world, just like English remains the the language that air traffic controllers or or the scientific community uses to publish. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> um, it just I think we're well into that and that that's not going to change no matter what the the circumstances. And so, um, I, you know, really one question that uh, I think is very fascinating is what's the end game here? Like. I have if there's $26 trillion of debt and interest rates are close to zero, but there's still increasing debt, what happens when the government cannot maintain confidence in their bond sales? Because it's, it's likely to happen. It's likely to happen. You won't see it and we won't see it happen because Right now, when the government goes to sell its bonds, it sells it to associated parties. <laughs> It'd be illegal if you were like trading stocks, where one arm of the same government creates debt and the other part buys it. And then they put it at banks and the banks lend it back to the government again. So it's kind of a lovely situation as long as you don't look at it from a analytical and, and sustainable perspective. So that, that's really the question is, it's not answerable in terms of what precipitates an event. Just like it, it, it wasn't like saying, okay, well, if we're in like this change of, of the way the world does work or lives or travels, no one would have predicted a year ago that it would be a, another type of SARS. I mean, there's some people always who predict it. They might have predicted, I saw an article where they predicted it four years ago, that this was inevitable, that the combination of that, born, this, and people eating that leads to a new type of virus. How's that for a very unscientific summary of, uh, of where we're at? I'm looking for the thumbs up from, from Robert there, you know, that that was adequate, that it, it's so uninformed. So, um, no one would have predicted that. There's no way to predict when someone will say, I don't, I don't think the government should be lent any more money. Or the form that will take. And, and in some ways it doesn't matter. It matters when it happens because we're all kind of going to be in the soup if it happens. And, and I'm not talking about doomsday. It just means that the government can't sell its bonds. Well, so what? The government can just say, hey, I'm not going to pay interest. 
I can't sell my bonds. I'm not going to redeem. In the old days, if you had a savings bond, right, from World War II or the 60s or 70s, and you took it into the bank, they were supposed to, like, give you your money, right? It might have taken a few months, but they they can just say, no, we're not going to return your capital. We, we have it. Tough, tough movies, as we used to say. You can't have it back. And there's nothing anyone can do about that, right? You're not going to, like, win against the Fed. And so they've got the capital. And you don't have your capital. It, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit far-fetched at this point. But at some point, there has to be a, a reckoning. Um, and the but, reckoning. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. What about crypto, cryptocurrency? Or this, uh... is, is, like, is like regular currency only on steroids. Like, it's only as good as the people who you're counter-trading with. There's no intrinsic value to a Bitcoin. It's only good insofar as you can get someone to give you, like, cash for it, and that someone else accepts your cash in exchange for real goods. Or services. Cryptocurrency is it's it's all based on confidence. That's what our society is based on, is voluntary compliance, voluntary participation in units of value. And it's and and it's work. It's not like it's the end of civilization. Governments throughout history have changed their mind about their contract, their financial contract with their population. It just hasn't happened in a while in the forum. Nixon, when he took the U.S. off the gold standard, sort of broke a contract, right? And that was partially what created the 1970s inflation. By the way, I, I don't think we see a return to inflation. The typical explanation of how the government gets out of the debt is inflation. I don't, I don't think that happens. There's, there's, there's too much capacity. There's too much energy capacity or or industrial production capacity, not necessarily in our country, but, but worldwide, where the costs of a lot of goods don't go up. That's not very true about, let's say, organic chicken. If you want an organic chicken and Tyson is closed up or whatever, then you have to go to your local farmer, right, for a chicken. We go to the backyard at the office. Right? can open his window, and outside you'd see five remaining of ten organic chickens because Hannah, who's back with Jeffrey, her partner, you know, every Sunday it's the old French uh, chicken in the pot kind of thing. So, and sometimes the dogs get a little bit of it, or the birds of prey have reduced the chicken population as well. Um, I haven't told anyone that uh, uh, in the office just that. So, a chicken in the pot is a relevant expression. Remember, that was like from the French Revolution was, what do they want? They want, you know, our goal is a chicken in every pot every Sunday. And it's not to say, you know, the food chain, I think, has held up remarkably well. I guess the price of meat is high. Is that right? I can go on talking about this for a while because I love talking about agriculture and its relationship to the because it's real. It's real economy that is visceral. The price of meat is up, but we have a client 
who raises cattle in in uh, California, and he's like he's like losing his shirt on cattle because no one wants to buy his cattle, and I mean he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars when the price of because the 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 system the system doesn't support uh, the processing of meat. No people don't want to take the risk, and the government is in reimbursing his ranch for like half of his loss. Um, and that that's a different topic of, of agricultural subsidies, but um, the the real world application of loss of confidence is um, it's it's why we recommend some gold and some cash. And because some, and cryptocurrency is okay as well. I mean, yeah. Both Rob and I own some and Definitely. It's it's not something that we we have any knowledge of what the future appreciation is, nor does it produce income. And in fact, to me, that's one reason to own it is because there's no other reason to own it. And and uh, because there's so many compelling reasons to buy tech stocks, right? The tech stocks that have done great, the big six, the, the super six. Um, there's so many like logical reasons to buy it. That's what happens when you're in the investment business is you, you learn to be like, if everyone's doing something and it's commonly accepted, then it's probably the worst time to do that thing. In general, that's how it pans out. Could just be our, like, my ornery nature. Kyle's much a sweeter guy than I am. And, but he has, he has become a little bit of a, Contrarian over over time, would you say, Kyle? Yes, we're always Good. evolving. Good. Well, Rob, so, Rob, I just have one quick follow-up question before you conclude. Yeah. Um, as far as the cash and the gold, you're you're saying for us to save that in our in our homes, like in our home safe, or does like a lockbox at the bank work as well? I, I think a lockbox at a bank works. I don't. I don't think the banks close their doors and don't let people into their safety deposit box. I, I've asked that question of, of our local banks in Santa Fe. You know, they may have been lying to me. They say that they they will not deny access and that they're not dependent on electronic. That that the that their safety deposit vaults are mechanical, and so if the electric, you know, and that's all kind of like very much out there planning, but, you know, if you have a home safe, I, I think keeping things in a home safe is a good idea, but it's sort of diversification. I, I, I would keep some at home and some at the bank. You know, you can get ripped off at home. People can cart away your safe. Cut the bolts that my friends drilled into the garage cement floor and whatever. It's, you know, it's, we, we we just do the best we can, and again, that's such a small portion of your assets. It's really, it's it's extremely unlikely that it will be needed. Um, it's partially for psychological comfort, but if it gets to be needed, you know, if it's a one percent chance, that's about the percentage chance I would say that you will need gold or cash. Cash is one percent. You know, it's it's higher. It's most people buy insurance, and their probabilities are lower than one percent that they'll need it. 
not one out of 100, it's probably one out of 10,000 people that collect on their insurance over their cost of insurance. Maybe it's one out of a thousand. I don't, I don't know. But it's just a, it's a form of insurance to, to, to us. And, uh, it is a hassle. Um, well, uh, we have two more minutes. I, uh, I've kind of ranted on for a while and got off and, and I, I guess I don't know whether I finished the kind of end game. What's the end game? The end game is that there's a change in the rules, right? That the government, the governments, and I mean all governments, are, are, are bigger players and that when push comes to shove, when, when there is a natural, I don't want to say in, inevitable, I think justifiable loss of confidence, then, then they can remain in control by changing the rules. And changing the rules could mean any number of things. Uh, the, the inflation is not, I think, the way that it will happen. They can inflate their way out by printing money, but, but they say that this $26 trillion deficit is not more money, not printing money. I can't remember the, the, the turn of phrase that was used, uh, uh, to say, no, it's not, it's not, it's not printing money. It all has the same effect, which is uh, the involvement. And I'm not, I'm not like going crazy, and, and I'm not espousing a political philosophy. The governments are way more involved in the markets than they ever have been. They're now essential to maintaining consumer, retail, investor confidence in the markets. I don't think they necessarily know what they're doing in terms of being justified in their involvement, but there hasn't been any choices. No one asked me, and no one will ask me, and they did. I probably, they, they wouldn't listen to me anyway, and, and probably that's a good thing. But I want to be prepared when they change the rules. I want you to be prepared when they change the rules, and that that goes to your tolerance, everyone's tolerance for really uh, – how widely you want to be diversified because it is a hassle. Anyone that has private investments that waits for their K-1s, you know, it's a hassle to not get your K-1s by April 1st and file your taxes on time like you're a good student, you know. If you if you want to be a good student and have everything tied up and neatly tied in the bow, forget it. You know, forget private investments, which I think are important. It's just messy, and that's kind of where I think we'll probably end is that things are messy out there. I think the future looks messier than the past. Uh, there's someone on the, on, on the line that is a big believer in Neil Howe's book. I think it's called The Fourth Turning. I can't remember. It's been so long. Um, you know, there are society changes going on. There are large scale changes and the financial system will reflect that. And so, um, uh, I, I think it's exciting and I, I have a very, uh, optimistic view because that's the kind of person that I am. I think that there are opportunities and that, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like there's not suffering that's going on, uh, or that will go on. But um, 
I think I think that the challenge that there are challenges and that to me that's exciting. I, I like challenges and I think there are ways of dealing with the challenges in 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 untraditional ways, which is sort of you know people that have stayed as clients. Uh, I think have to they acknowledge that there's a, you know a little uh, some offbeat character to the recruiting group and that one of the reasons they kind of like us and, and that's what you get. And and um, that's what we will continue to do alongside of all of the traditional asset allocation things. So with that, we like thank you again. Type and send us your follow-up questions or comments. Uh, uh, one comment would be, don't have like a light fixture right above my head. I, I, I like that kind of look, but I haven't been able to get rid of it the whole time. So I just get into it and. Uh, it is a little bit like a cone head. It's like a light bulb went off. 